Well, we last week we did Psalm 42 and 43, and uh, this week I just kind of did a little finger walk through the Psalms and landed on 51, which is a very familiar Psalm. And uh, I thought I would have this, my favorite fictional character, introduce my sermon topic today. Lovely service, Dr. Tucker. Just lovely. And the sermon was magnificent. <laughs> Simply magnificent. Well, thank you. Dr. Breen, may I introduce Sheriff Taylor? Dr. Breen. His aunt, Miss B. Ms. Johnson. Uh-huh. And Miss Deputy Five. <laughs> well, hello. A real pleasure. Oh, Dr. Breen, your sermon had such a wonderful lesson for us. Yes, sir. You really hit the nail right on the head there. Yes, sir. That's one subject you just can't talk enough about. Sin. Yes, uh, well, um... Will you be around long? We'd be very honored to have you come for dinner. We wish you would. Well, I wish I could, but I did promise to drive over to Mount Pilate this afternoon and preach a sermon. But on my way back this evening, I'll stop by and have coffee with you, if I may. Oh, that'd be mighty nice. We'll look forward to seeing you. Well, it's good to have you. Bye. Bye. Talk about sin. You might have guessed it, that Barney was falling asleep on the sermon. I had no idea. Ironically, the sermon title was, What's Your Hurry? Now, if you were going to speak in Mayberry, would would What's Your Hurry be the first thing that came to your mind? Not me. A couple of years ago, I shared this with our home group Wednesday night. A couple of years ago, they cajoled and twisted my arm and talked me into walking in the Mayberry Days parade as Reverend Tucker. And uh, I did. I'm not going to do it again, but I did at that time. Uh, And I heard, I bet a hundred times, as I was walking down the main street of Mount Airy, North Carolina, I had a book that said Dry and Dusty Sermons. And uh, I bet I heard a hundred times, well, that's one subject you can't talk enough about, sin. And that's my sermon title, Sin. It's a word that many churches have ceased using in their gatherings. Some churches will meet you at the door, not a lot, I don't guess. I obviously don't visit a lot of churches. But some churches will meet you at the door and make sure that you understand that they they do not allow the use of the word sin in their meetings. In the English Standard Version, and very near that in the King James Version, the word sin appears 390 times. The word sinned, S-I-N-N-E-D, about the same amount in both versions, appears 101 times. And that's not to mention sinners and sinful and all the other that go with it. I'm not on a campaign to see how much, how many times we can say the word sin. Um, I am on a campaign to see how little times we can commit them. But Psalm 51 brings us to this place, this dark chapter in the life of David. By the way, <laughs> last Sunday I shared with you Psalm 42 and 43. And throughout the entire time, I referenced the author of that, those psalms to be David. And uh, somebody asked me a question about it afterwards, and I thought, well, you know what? I, I did a lot of studying for those two psalms. I mean, I spent hours back there, books on top of you know. You thought I would have studied the author. It was not David. It was written by the sons of Korah. And the sad part is I know that section of the psalms are not David's psalms. They're sons of Korah. So, sue me. I don't know. Anyway, this one is David, I can tell you. And this is this dark chapter from David from which we can gain hope and get an example in our own lives. And we need to be reminded when we start talking about the topic of sin that the blood of Christ brings us the cure. Everybody say cure. 
for slavery to this dark disease that entered our world in the Garden of Eden. We'll talk about it later, but this psalm is the result of sin in David's life, not just bad choices, not just, it was sin. Everybody say sin. I know I don't like it either, but I got good news for you. So this is not, this is not hellfire brimstone. This is not make you feel bad, beat you up. This is not any of that. This is we we have a disease that entered the human race in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came, bore that sin on the cross, and yet because we live in a fallen world and we live in human bodies and we deal with fleshly desires, because of that we still deal with sin. Mm. I know we're supposed to tell you that you that you you never sin and you should never sin. Well, I believe that as we grow in Christ, our propensity to give ourselves to sin can decrease. And I don't want everyone to make excuses for our uh, committing sins. But I want to tell you that you, you will. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. Well... Psalm 51, verse 1, again, is written in, in, uh, after an event that we'll deal with in, in a few moments. If you would stand while I read uh, this psalm in the English Standard Version, and it reads this way, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. David was not afraid of the word, by the way. And done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You could be seated. What is sin? What, is, what, what do we think of when, when we think of what is sin? Now, the idea of sin is based on God being utterly right. The only way we can identify what sin is is to understand that God is always right. Sometimes in the Scripture we see characters questioning God and questioning whether or not he's right. But I want to submit to you today that there's that there should be no question in our minds that regardless of the situation, regardless of our level of understanding, regardless of what we see or don't see, I want to tell you today that God is always right. So that's our measuring stick if we're going to understand what sin is. Real sin 
is a violation of our relationship with God. Whatever causes us, whatever violates that relationship, whatever causes, muddies the waters, so to speak, in our relationship with God. Every person under the sound of my voice knows what it feels like to commit an act, to say something, do something, or some cases not do something. Every one of us know what that feeling feels like when suddenly we uh, have don't feel as close to God as we used to. I remember, this is not God, but I remember when we were first married, yeah, we didn't even have we didn't even have a child yet, and we were renting um, a trailer. Yes, we were trailer trash. I'm sorry, no, we weren't trash, but we lived in a trailer. And uh, our landlady, I don't remember, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember what transpired, but somehow I said something to her that I shouldn't have. Yeah, that's not like me. See, you hadn't lived with me. And plus, I was only, I think, 19 years old. But I said something, and, you know, it was obviously something I shouldn't have said. And and, uh, for two or three days, I was miserable. We lived next door to them. That made it worse. And And the other part, we went to church together. And it, boy, it eat me up until I finally became a man. And I went next door. And I apologized for what I had said and the way I had said it. Boy, everything was great. From then on. Well, that's a bad analogy in the sense that I'm trying to compare this landlady to God, but it's the same principle. We know what that feels like. Real sin is a violation of our relationship with God. Now, David is going to teach us in this passage that Sin is first and foremost against God. We do, other people uh, bear the brunt of our sin, and by definition, we have sinned against human beings, but first and foremost, when we, when we deter or go another route, we have sinned against God. The Old Testament word for sin, it's a word that just means to miss or to go wrong. Swing and a miss. The New Testament word gets us a little closer, and it's a word that means to miss the mark. That the mark, the standard, miss the standard. And we're always aiming at the standard, and I want to submit to you that the standard is not a set of rules. The standard is not laws. The standard that we're aiming for is Jesus himself. He's the standard. And you say, well, man, alive, that's a, that's a high bar. Yes, it is. And that's why we have the blood of Christ. And that's why we have the grace of God. And that's why we have God's mercy at our disposal. But any time that our life, whether it be action or words or deeds, I guess deeds and actions would be the same thing. Anytime we alter and miss that mark that is set by Jesus himself, we, by definition, have now committed a sin. Now, I don't know how to describe this, but what doesn't concern me so much is when you're out, uh, especially you guys, you're out working on a project at your house and you hit your thumb with a hammer and you say things that are not pleasant to hear. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. I mean, yeah, you said something, it's over, forgive me, Lord, go on about your business. That's not what I, I'm, that doesn't concern me as much. What concerns me is people, and especially the people of God, who give themselves to a lifestyle of sin. Lord, help me. We'll come back to that. No, we're going to come back to it. We're not done with it. I want to talk for a few minutes about the effect of sin. What is the effect? What does it do to us? Well, first and foremost, and we learned this in the Garden of Eden, 
that, that sin separates. Sin always separates, whether it be between us and God, between us and our spouse, between us and friends, it separates. Remember that Adam and Eve, they're enjoying fellowship with God daily, walking in the cool of the day, enjoying a fellowship with God Almighty. And then they give themselves, by their choice, they give themselves to what the serpent was tempting them, and they partook of the fruit. The fruit was not the sin. It was the act of partaking of the fruit. That was the problem. They believed the serpent when he said, you'll be like God. God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows you'll be like him. Now, every one of us in our flesh today deal with the propensity and the, the the leaning toward being our own God. We all do. It's because of the Garden of Eden. But what they did, as soon as they sinned, as soon as they were disobedient, immediately the Bible says they ran and hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Because they immediately sensed a separation from God. They knew it was there. Peter, when Jesus got into the boat and said, throw your nets over here, and the, and the nets were so full, they're about to break. Peter got down on the knees. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter understood that sin separates and comes between us and God. Isaiah said it this way, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. In other words, God can get to you. God can reach you no matter where you are. But, remember last week I said that's the anesthesia before the surgery. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When we, especially when we choose and adopt a lifestyle of sin, there is a separation between us and God. Are you saying to me, Pastor, that I'm going to lose my salvation? No, I'm not saying that. Are we so childish and so juvenile that the only thing we're concerned with is whether or not we're going to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven, but I'm kind of like Loretta Lynn wrote this song. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. But do I want something more than just fire insurance? Do I want to be useful to God while I'm on the earth? Do I want quality of life while I'm here? Do I want joy? Do I want peace? Do I want all of that stuff or am I willing to forfeit that to go live a lifestyle that God says is wrong? We don't like that word either. It's wrong. I hope not. Another thing that sin does is make us self-referential. Back to the garden. Immediately when they sinned, you might, I can tell you this now because it's not a secret any longer. But while before they sinned, they they walked around naked. They had a nudist camp. And they didn't know it because they didn't care. You know why they didn't care? They were they were not one iota concerned with themselves. None. So it didn't matter if they walk around without clothes on. It's, you know, it's just the two of them for the time being anyway. No big deal. But as soon as they disobeyed God, and as soon as sin entered the garden, immediately they started doing what we call navel-gazing. You know what navel-gazing is? Well, think about it. You're totally concerned with what? With you. They became self-aware in that moment. They became consumed with self-awareness. They were given to self-occupation. And from then to now, the greatest enemy we have many times is our, is our ourselves. It makes us, sin makes us 
focus on us. And to the degree that you and I have to fight that, it's to that degree that sin is still rampant into the world. I mean, there's a magazine out there. The title of the magazine is Self. Another thing that happens uh, with with sin and when we give ourselves to sin, there are physical issues. Now, I could I could have had a bunch of scriptures. I'm just going to give you this one, Psalm 38. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. I would submit to you that when God made these bodies, well, you know, when he made their bodies, let's say it that way, they were perfect. There was nothing wrong with Adam and Eve's body. And they were not built to carry sin. Not built for that. You know, some your car, you go out there in your car and you put sand in your gas tank, it's not going to run very long because it wasn't built to run on sand. You and I were not built to run on sin. but So when sin enters, then things go haywire. And immediately the human body begins to decay. I'm not saying every sickness is because of sin. But I'm telling you that prolonged harboring of sin weighs on the human body. The human body cannot physically take that. I personally believe, I'm not a doctor, I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, Holiday Inn Express, but I personally believe that many Diseases, cancer, some cancers, not all cancer, but some diseases we deal with are people who are harboring sin and resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and their body cannot take that. So another consequence is it produces death. Now James tells us that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is where it all starts, saints. You know, I've referenced Flip Wilson before, and Adam asked me who's Flip Wilson. Anyway, Flip Wilson was a... I told somebody yesterday about Brill Cream. How many of you remember Brill Cream? That's what I thought, less than half. Y'all making me feel old. Flip Wilson was... (laughs) Man, I need Phil Eeks up here right now. I was glad when Phil joined the elders because then I was no longer the oldest one. But anyway, Flip Wilson was a comedian of yesteryear, and one of his characters was a girl named Geraldine, and Geraldine was was uh, often saying, "The devil made me do it." We can't we can't use that excuse because he says James says it's because we're enticed by our own desire. It's what we want. And then he goes on to explain what happens. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I personally think that James, who's the brother of our Lord, I personally think he's not primarily referring to a physical death, although that can be part of it. But I think he's referring to the fact that when we're given to a lifestyle of sin or unrepentant sin, I think he's talking about there is a sort of a spiritual death, sometimes by varying degrees, that takes place inside of us. To sum it all up, sin's not a good thing. I know I'm not talking to a bunch of people who are living a sinful, you know, going out here and sinning all the time. I'm not. I want us to to prevent ourselves from that. David was the king. And he had to come to a place. I'm, I'm using my words carefully. Y'all see what I'm doing here? The world is watching. David had to come to a place of repentance from his sin. Now, in that culture, you approached a king very carefully. You had to approach very carefully, or you would lose your life. David, and I'm not going to turn, but you can find it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David, the Bible says, 
at a time when the kings went off to war. Don't miss that. At a time when the kings went off to war, David stayed home. Now, if nothing else is clear and true and undebatable in that passage is that David should have gone off to war. For some reason, David stayed behind and sent his troops. Now, my personal opinion is, and this is just my personal opinion, is that the reason he sent his troops off to war and he stayed behind is because when he saw Bathsheba bathing once again without any clothes on, most of us bathe that way, I think. I don't think that was the first time he saw her. She didn't just move in yesterday. My own opinion is that he had, he had spotted her before and he thought to himself, I let this army get out of here. And her husband just so happened to be in his army. Send them to the front lines and then I'm going to call for her. And of course that's exactly what he did. Result was she was pregnant. And of course, when he found out she was pregnant, then he called for her husband to try to trick him into thinking it was his baby. And they went through the whole thing. And of course, then he, then when the husband wouldn't fall for the trick, he sent him back to the front lines with the words, basically, put him in a place where he will get killed. And he did. So basically, David is, is, uh, is an adulterer and he's a murderer. Now, this is a man, by the way, that God said is a man after his own heart. This is a man that God said is the apple of his eye. I'm going to tell you why I think that. But anyway, here's, here's the story. Uriah is dead. David takes in Bathsheba. She's having a baby, will have a baby, did have a baby. But before that happened, God found one of the bravest men in the Bible, a guy named Nathan. He said, hey, go! I need you to go tell David. So he did. He went and told him. And he told him a parable, but basically he said, you sinned. And here's why I think that David is the apple of God's eye and a man after his own heart, because the next words out of his mouth were, I have sinned. He didn't, well... It's so-and-so's fault. Well, she shouldn't have been over there bathing naked. That's what we would have done. I mean, she, she had no, that guy shouldn't have went off to battle with his wife there by herself. I mean, we'd blame everybody. We'd come up with all kinds of excuses. David said, I have sinned. He repented. He said this to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Shall not die. Mercy. And yet David, I don't know when David writes this psalm. This psalm is written as a response to that episode, to his conversation with Nathan. I don't know when he wrote it, but he writes this psalm. In verse 1, he says, have mercy on me. Verse 2, he says, wash me. Verse 2, cleanse me from my sin. That's the good news, saints. The news today is not wagging the finger and you better not be. The news is we have cleansing available to us, especially we do through the blood of Jesus Christ. The message is not that. The message is let's guard ourselves so we don't adopt something that God is opposed to, to cause separation. He said, purge me. In verse 7, he said, purge me, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He's singing this to God. We sang that today, purify my heart. There's nothing wrong with us singing that, saints. I know that there has been some overbalanced grace teaching that's gone on that said you can do whatever you want to do because God's grace will cover and forgive you of your sin. And in, in essence, and in in uh, basic theology, that's true, that you can't commit a sin 
As a Christian, you can't commit a sin that God won't forgive. But why would you want to live like that? Uh, I'll leave that alone. He said, my sin is ever before me. Every one of us, I'm not going to ask you, every one of us have had times when our wrong, the thing we've done wrong is right here. It's like we can't think of anything else. We can't see anything else. We can't, we can't move on because it's right. It's on, it's in high definition right here in front of us until we deal with it. And then he made the statement, verse four, against you only have I sinned. We got to deal with God first before we can deal with anybody else. We need to deal with other people. First and foremost, we need to deal with God. And then he makes this statement. If I could see it, I'd read it. There it is. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, conceived in sin, or original sin. Now, let me just hasten to add and see if I can say this delicately. The act of conception was not the sin. I knew a lady one time when I was a kid that she got married and she was of a really, well, I don't know that the church was so much, but she was of an unbalanced, real unbalanced Pentecostal faith. And she got married and she said to her husband, you'll never touch me because that's a sin. They had children, but they adopted them all, which is nothing wrong with that. But she said to him, you'll never touch me because that's sinful. I don't know if he did or didn't. I, I don't want to know, to be honest with you. That's not the sin. The sin that he was conceived in entered at the Garden of Eden when mankind was corrupted and became a sinful creature. He's saying, I was born in original sin. The first breath I took as an infant, I was a sinner. And you were too, by the way. You've heard me say dozens of times, if you don't believe in original sin, you've never had a baby around you. You've never been around a baby because they are the most self-centered, selfish people you'll ever meet on the face of the earth. They're interested in one thing and one thing only themselves. Feed me, change me, whatever. Me, 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 me. It's all about them. That's just the way they're made. And you were too, by the way. And then he makes this statement. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. See, he's saying, I'm not playing games with God. You need, you desire truth in the inward heart. A, a lot of people can play games and smile and put on, you know, oh. a lot of people in the past and hope, I don't know. Some people haven't been known to go to church just to be seen especially if they're in the political world or in a visible business. They go to church just to be seen, and they smile, and they put on the facade. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I worked for a guy like that one time. We'd go to church. He'd get up and testify about all that the Lord had done for him. And on Monday, I said, who is this guy? Who, where was that guy that was at church yesterday? Because he had the foulest mouth and the worst jokes and everything that he said was counter to what he had just testified to the day before. I often wondered, did he think I was invisible? Did he not know I was sitting listening to him yesterday and today? Inward truth, not just playing the game. And if you're talking about repentance from sin, you have to, you have to address this verse in 1 Timothy. As for those who persist, everybody say persist. In sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. 
If the church today operated church discipline the way the Bible describes, we'd be making everybody mad. Fortunately, most of the time, you don't have people, as this verse describes, persisting in sin and still sticking around and trying to be uh, contributors to the church life. You don't have that because usually someone who gets into that lifestyle, they don't want to be around godly people. Restoration. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's an effect of sin. Yes, there's a repentance from sin, which leads us to a place of restoration. And David writes in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. The word right there is really steadfast. Renew a steadfast, upright spirit within me. Lord, I have messed up. I've done this. I have sinned. I've killed Uriah. I've committed adultery. By the way, God told him his sins were forgiven, but the baby would still die. There are consequences to your sin. But he says to God, start over. (laughs) Hey, can we start over? Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The indication here is that this cannot happen until there's repentance. It's not going to happen until we face our shortcomings. It's not going to happen until we deal with the inward parts and say to God, I have done it, and I ask you to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Truth is, until we have repented, we probably won't even want that. He said, Cast me not away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit. I need your presence, David is saying. I need your presence and I need your Holy Spirit. I'd be surprised to learn that the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but he was. I need your presence. And when you, when you commit whatever that is that causes separation between you and God, You have separated yourself from the presence of God. That's why they hid themselves. That's why they went and he said, where are you? And he said, we're hiding over here. Well, you know, he knew where they were. But he wanted them to know where they were. In a place of sin. And then he says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore my joy. Again, everybody under the sound of my voice at one time or another, you've done something or said something that caused, that that caused, that was sin by definition. And it caused you to lose your joy. You could make it through life. You trudged through, but until you got right with God or somebody, your joy It just wasn't there. He said, restore my joy. I'm repenting God. Create me a clean heart. Give me a steadfast spirit and don't take your Holy Spirit and your presence away from me and restore, which many didn't have it anymore, restore my joy. Which is another effect of sin, the loss of joy. Let's don't miss that regardless of what we do or don't do, there's always, everybody say always, there's always forgiveness and restoration available to us. We simply have to ask and repent. And then he says, as we're concluding the psalm, he says, "Pass, I will pass it on. If you'll do all of this for me, what I will do is I'll teach transgressors your ways. I'll teach those who are messing up like I'm messing up that they don't have to mess up. But if they do mess up, there's mercy. I will worship and praise you, he says. The words he uses are sing aloud. He declare praises, offer sacrifices. This is worship and praise. And he's saying, because I am not now encumbered by the weight of my sin, I'm going to praise you, God. And then he makes a reference that God's not pleased with burnt offering. 
Well, what he meant there was he's not, God's not pleased with the burnt offering until we come to him with a broken and contrite heart. He says the sacrifice of God is that, a contrite heart, a humble heart, a broken heart, a repentant heart. And God's, in, in matter of fact, Isaiah 57 says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive. Everybody say revive. revive. I told you we had good news today. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what God's looking for. John writes in his first letter, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now he, by the way, he's writing that letter to Christians. Now writing that letter to pagans. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now we're talking about practice. As a matter of fact, I'll read that. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So when I commit a sin, does that mean I don't know God? No. Next verse, or two verses later. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Not you've said something in a heat of the moment and you're, you're repentant from it and you make things right. That's not what he's talking about. He said, so whoever makes a practice... I'm going to adopt a lifestyle or a mindset that I know violates God's word. Because either God's not smart enough to satisfy me, or the word of God has lost its luster, doesn't mean as much as it used to, or I'm going to develop my own theology and let God adjust himself to me. None of the above are good options. Mm. Practice is the key word. He says it again. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Listen, for God's seed abides in him. People say, what do you think about so-and-so, man? They got saved and... And all of a sudden, they're you know they're doing all this stuff over here, and it's you know a, a consistent, long term lifestyle. And you know sometimes, not every time, but sometimes I just have to say, I really wonder, do they have the seed? Do they really have the seed, or did they have an emotional experience? And when the emotion, we talked about the so we're in the soil Wednesday night at our home group. Once the emotion was gone, was there really some seed there? Or had the birds of the air come along and took it? I'm not judging people's hearts because I can't, but I wonder. And he says, then you'll delight in right sacrifices. I want to finish here, and then I'm going to bring the worship team up. Um, God's dealing with Cain as he's about, he's in his heart about to decide to kill his brother. And God says this to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, indicating that God is saying to Cain, you can rule over it. If he couldn't rule over it, God would have never told him to rule over it. I'm just a country boy from the panhandle of Florida, but I figured that out pretty quick. I quoted this earlier, but I'm going to read it again because I want to finish right here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Here's, you know, what's his name? Offered the, the red pill and the blue pill in the matrix. 
I'm going to offer you the purple pill from King Jesus. Take this one and put it in your pocket. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's where we live. Come on, worship team. That's where we live. We live in a place that regardless of what we're doing or not doing, what we're dealing with or not dealing with, don't ever lose 1 John 1, nine. As a matter of fact, you should commit that verse to memory. You should be able just to spit that out. You can use your own paraphrase. I don't care if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to memorize that verse. And any time that you find yourself in that place when sin is crouching at your door and your desire is to give in to something, that you say, Lord, help me. And when you do succumb, you confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you. Not just forgive your sins, but to cleanse you from that sin. Let's not let sin rule our lives. That's why Jesus died. Amen? This is a time to respond wherever, however you would, wherever you are. If you want to come to the altar, I just wanted to pray with you. But this is a time to respond to God for wherever you are today at this moment. Worship team. Create in me a clean heart Oh God And renew a right spirit within me Create in me a clean heart, O God And renew a right spirit within me Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And we knew right spirit within me created me a clean heart create in me a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within me create in Spirit within me Cast me not away From thy presence, O Lord Take not thy Holy Spirit from me Restore Oh. 
great spirit within me. Cast me not away, he promises. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew right spirit within me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the transparency of your servant David, that he would write this song in the midst of his turmoil, and yet we get to view him repenting of his sin before you, we get to view him requesting that you would create in him a clean heart and you would renew a right spirit within him, Lord Jesus. And here we are worshiping the seed of David today. Lord, help each one of us as we are confronted with a fallen world, with fallen offerings. Help each one of us to resist to not be enticed by our own desires. And in those times when we do fail, and especially when we're tempted to compromise our lives, oh Lord God, forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord Jesus. And then help us to teach others, help us to communicate and pass on that message, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit to walk with us. Thank you for this time together, and I thank you for the work that you will continue to do in our hearts. And I pray in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You may be dismissed. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Created me. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. Take